right. We are five weeks in to a study of one verse, <laughs> Micah 6.8. And as we go through this, I want to just remind you where we've been, where we're going. And uh, we only have one more week left here. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about um, acting justly or doing justice, uh, depending on your uh, version or, or translation that you're reading. Um, so far where we've been to this point, we've talked about loving mercy and we've talked about walking humbly. And I hope last week what we did when we started talking about walking humbly is we began to change our understanding of what humility is. A lot of what the world sees as humble means you don't have an opinion. It means that you don't have any confidence. There is a, an, an kind of an imposed weakness and giving into the the desires and wants of others, that is not what humility is. Now, that's not what everyone's understanding of humility is, but that is the way some feel uh, that it looks like to be humble. I'm, not, I'm never going to push my feelings on you. I'm never going to push my beliefs. I'm never going to do this or that. But what, we dis- what we've discovered so far in our study of Micah 6.8 is that uh, the nation of Israel struggled, just like we struggle, with knowing exactly what God wants from us. Sometimes what God wants for us. And for them, in their mindset, what they were thinking God wanted was he wanted a lot of elaborate traditions. He wanted a lot of rituals, wanted sacrifice. Uh, he wanted all these things to continue to be happening, and that's what they were supposed to do. And so they would kind of dig in and do the religious thing. But what it often would, would happen and what happens today when we dig into to some kind of religiosity but yet is devoid of actually experiencing God is it becomes just exhausting. Not only does it become exhausting, we have a a misunderstanding of who God is and what God wants and what God's expecting from us. And so Micah steps in as a prophet during a very turbulent time in the nation of Israel's life. And in this time, uh, they are struggling and have split into two kingdoms where you have the majority in the north kingdom and then you have only Judah and Benjamin in the southern kingdom. And so as they are continuing to develop under separate leaders following the death of Solomon, all of a sudden this nation that had been promised this incredible future, its future was in doubt. We are in a time where our, at times it feels like our future is in doubt, are we not? We don't know what the next day is going to hold, what the next week's going to hold, what's work going to, what's going to happen with work, what's going to happen with school, what's going to happen uh, with church, what's going to happen with just dig in and kind of do the things that we're supposed to do. What Micah did at this time, which is why we're talking about it now, is he said, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't get all caught up into all this other stuff. Recognize that there are three things that God really wants from you. He wants to love mercy and to walk humbly and to act justly, or to do justice. Micah 6.8 says in the English Standard Version, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, we took these out of order because we've held justice to the last. Now, we've talked about justice quite a bit over the last couple of years here at Journey, and so we're not going to rehash some of the things we've talked about. I want to reframe justice, not reframe it in the sense of we're going to change what we've been talking about, but instead I want you to understand some of the deeper underlying reasons why we do pursue justice and what exactly does that mean to pursue justice. Because even though we may act in our own minds justly, that doesn't mean that's the kind of justice that God's calling us to. 
So we looked at loving mercy, that mercy is that uh, ability and willingness to withhold punishment that is due somebody. And so we kind of left that one hanging because there's a problem with just completely uh, embracing the idea of loving mercy. Like, I will always withhold punishment from you. The problem with always withholding punishment is that God never said that's the way that we're supposed to grow. Discipline is a part of life. Accountability is a part of the church's role. And so we can't just all love mercy and ignore accountability. But at the same time, there is this wonderful character of God that just demonstrates what you are due, I'm going to withhold, and I'm going to give you something else instead. And then we, we moved into walking humbly, and, and, and we talk, started talking about humility, not in that sense of just kind of cowering or not having an opinion, but, but humility is actually incredibly confident. Because when we begin to understand what God wants from us and how he sees us and what he, how he wants us to see each other, what we find is that humility or being humble is, is not that we are somehow subservient or less than others, but instead we see others as equal to ourselves. Which may seem like uh, semantics, but in reality there's a great difference in one person seeing themselves as less than versus seeing all other people as being as valuable as they are. So what God is wanting when we walk humbly with him is while we don't see equality with God as something to be grasped, just like Jesus didn't, he does want us to look at other people with a level of equality that says you are worthy of dignity and respect. You are worthy to be recognized that you are born in the image of God. For you Christ died. We all have equal footing when it comes to dignity and to respect, even outside of our abilities or what we've accomplished or what we are, if we're successful and whatever the world says is successful, we are all equals. And so humility is looking at others as equals. And so all of this builds to this idea of doing justice. And before we jump into that, I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine. His name is Jay, and Jay was a friend in middle school. I don't know what your middle school uh, experience was like. Anybody wish they could go back to middle school? Some of you who are in middle school are thinking, oh, okay, so Nikki would, uh, nobody else. I would not go back. Josh would go back? Okay. I would not go back. You all were probably popular in your middle school, weren't you? Like you had all the friends, didn't you? I bet you both did. Oh, you could still skate. Okay. Well, you can still skate now. All right. So Jay and I, I say are friends, we weren't friends. In fact, Jay picked on me quite a bit, and I got picked on a lot in middle school. I didn't have a lot of friends. I went to church. Jay went to the same church that I went to. I hated middle school. Now, when we started middle school, we started my sixth grade year in this beautiful old building. And then in my seventh grade year, and while I was in sixth grade, they were building a new school for us. And so in the new school, it was very different. The old school was just, oh, man, I would love to have it. If we were looking for a, a building for Journey, I would love to have this school. You know, just the old wood floors, the exposed brick, exposed beams. Oh, it's a beautiful school. But they built a brand new school, brand new everything. Like some of you have experienced when you moved into a new school, uh, it was wonderful to move into a new school, but our classrooms were organized into these quads. So you had four classrooms in a 
quad, and then you would do all of your life in that classroom. You would leave to go to the cafeteria if you needed to go to get something to eat or go to the library or if you're in band or in sports, something like that. You would leave your quad, but everything else was done in your quad. And there was a group of guys that just always picked on me. Now, at one point, I you would carry my pencils kind of in my hand like a weapon, like, you know, I'm going to fend off these guys that would pick on me. Don't do that, by the way. This is not the point of my story. But I'm just telling you, life wasn't good, and Jay was one of the guys that was always picking on me, and what made it worse is when I would go to church, he would do it at church too. So I grew up with this group of folks, and I grew up with Jay, and Jay really changed the way I understood people, and I understood my role in the world. Because right as we were leaving middle school and about to enter high school, we went on a mission trip with our youth group. And on that mission trip, Jay's girlfriend broke up with him. It's a common thing on youth mission trips for relationships to form and to dissolve. You see, Jay was one of the popular kids. Part of being popular meant you had a popular you know, girlfriend or boyfriend. Jay not only lost his girlfriend, he lost a little bit of his identity and his standing because now the popular girl is no longer his girlfriend. And I remember seeing Jay on just sitting in the parking lot of the hotel in which we were staying, just weeping. Now that's pretty significant that a middle or high school boy will be found weeping anywhere. That just doesn't happen because that's how you get picked on, right? And so I I had the option to respond in a couple of different ways, and one was to just relish, you know? Just, you you so deserve this, Jay, you know, right? You so deserve this pain. Oh, everybody, look, hey, hey, look at Jay, look at Jay. I mean, thank you, Lord, for the justice that you have brought into my life in causing Jay to hurt. I didn't respond that way, and in fact, I was as surprised as you, some of you are. I can tell by your expressions. That's not how I responded. But instead, I had this weird sensation of compassion for Jay. So all of Jay's popular friends, they didn't want to be around this mess. They all left him. He's sitting here alone, bawling his eyes out. I don't know. I've never had a girlfriend. I mean, I had a girlfriend in second grade. I don't think it counts. But I sat down with him and talked with Jay for the next hour and a half. And that night ended with us doing some pretty, uh, you know, weird ways to have fun. We went and grabbed some shopping carts. We rode them all around the parking lot. We were rolling them as far as we could, trying not to hit a car. I mean, I was just trying to cheer the guy up. A guy that I didn't particularly like, a guy that didn't particularly like me, And yet, something in that moment, in that experience with Jay, just clicked. It was the first time in my life I felt God say, yes, Mark, yes. So this is what I want for you. This compassion you're feeling, this is good. What was Fun to watch and exciting to see was over that course of an hour, hour and a half of goofing off with Jay, 
Jay's countenance lifted. He was happy. He was doing good. This guy who was picking on me, maybe he won't pick on me anymore. And I'd love to tell you, Jay and I became best friends. And, and then we did, all, we did everything together. We were inseparable. Not true. Jay and I would, you know, wave. But that's about the extent of our friendship after that. But it was a moment that I recognized. And, I, and the first time I really felt God saying, so this is what I want you to be about. Because this is what it means to do justice. You may think, how is it justice? With all the the things that are going on in our life today, in the world today, when we're talking about race and politics and we're talking about people who are getting killed, how, how does this in any way respond to how God views justice? And the reason that we struggle with this and the reason that this topic is hard in general to talk about is if we go around the room and I were to ask you, what does justice mean you would probably each have a different definition of what just meant. We could look at any of the stories that are in the news. We could look at Breonna Taylor. We could could look at George Floyd. We could look at um, any of the police officers who have been shot. We could look at any of those and we could say, okay, would you give me what you believe is the most just response to this? And I'm guessing around the room, we would have a different response about what just meant. Mostly in the world, justice means, if we're going to define it, justice means someone gets what they're due, right? You mess up, you get punished. You do something good, you get rewarded. That's the most basic understanding that most people understand justice to be. And would basically say to act justly, based on what Micah is saying, in in the context of how the world views justice would be this. In order to act justly, the only thing you need to do is don't do anything that is unjust. Kind of transactional. Kind of the idea of what is good or what is bad. And in all reality, we have struggled with defining what is good or bad through in, in all of History, even though this is the tree, the knowledge of good and evil in which we ate in the garden, we still struggle with an understanding of what is good and bad. And to this day, we cannot agree as a people, even within the church at times, what uh, justice is. So what I want to share with you today is I want to talk with you a little bit about, well, what does the Bible say justice is? What is justice that Mike would have been talking about? And then next week, I want us to just kind of look at some current events and how do we apply the biblical understanding of justice to what we're seeing in the world around us? So what is biblical justice? We have to begin back what we talked about last week, which is walking humbly with God, which is that you are an equal share of God's image, of God's love, of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, you and I and everyone else that has ever breathed, we are equal. That is the most basic understanding of walking humbly with God. As we see others, this is, this is Jesus' greatest commandment. You'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second is like it. You will love your neighbor as yourself, not more than yourself, not less than yourself, as yourself. It's a wonderful picture that if we are in relationship with people that truly take that to heart, in which we are both trying to encourage and lift each other up consistently, what would that relationship be like? In my relationship in middle school, wasn't all that great with Jay, because it was one about someone being lifted up by tearing someone down, which is, I think, the universal experience in middle school. 
biblical understanding of walking humbly, and as we begin our, an understanding of what justice is, is recognizing every person has unsurpassable worth to God. Every one of us, every person, even the person you can't stand, even the person you blocked on Facebook, even the person that you avoid going to lunch at the same time because you're going to have to meet them in the break room. (laughs) Every single person has the same unsurpassable worth. And we are to treat people not how we deem they deserve to be treated, but we treat them as God would treat them. So what is biblical justice? A few things I want to share with you today. One, God is just. We inherit our understanding of justice from him. As Christians, we cannot inherit our understanding of justice from commentators, from politics, from world events. We have to take it, what does God say? It's his understanding of justice. And for God, while most of us would say justice involves some level of rules, our justice system, for example, follows a number of laws that you have to, even you go to school, if you get in trouble, it's because you broke a rule. But for God, it's not about a list of rules, it's about a way of living. It is a character in which you live out within your life, recognizing the value of someone else and working towards that. Deuteronomy 32.4 says this about God's character. It says the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness without iniquity, just and upright is he. If we really dig down into to scripture, we'll find that the concepts of righteousness and justice are very much intertwined with each other. What does that mean? Where does that take us? We're going to talk a little more about this next week. And I totally stole this. Oh, I don't think I even put it in. I didn't put, is there a graph in there? I didn't even put it in. So I'll put it in next week. The world has struggled to understand the concept of justice apart from religion and faith as long as there has been religion and faith. In fact, in the Enlightenment, philosophers tried to understand justice not based on uh, some kind of moral um, you know, foundation that we find in our faith, but instead that every person could determine what was good and what was moral based on their own thinking or based on their own reasoning. So a lot of people, even today, when we talk about justice, they understand justice based on how do you figure out what is the best thing to do versus not doing the worst thing you could do. And so doing it completely messes up our understanding of justice. For example, when you begin to move from kind of this collectivist mindset to this individualistic mindset, we find lots of ideas. Um, the idea that, that justice means freedom. In other words, a just society promotes your freedom. Like if our, our, our society is just, everyone's free. No one's bound to anything. You have absolute freedom. And yet what Jesus teaches us, what Scripture teaches us over and over again is while we have freedom from sin, we are bound to Christ. And Jesus himself said, ah, equality with God is not something that I can even picture or imagine. I do what the Father tells me to do. So freedom to a Christian is not the same idea that our, that our, our culture sees as freedom. Sometimes freedom is understood as fairness, that a just society promotes fairness. Everything is fair. Have you experienced that? Where can we move to experience that? Everything is fair. Or that 
Justice is happiness. It maximizes our happiness for the most number of people, which is kind of a moral ethical dilemma when we try to decide, well, this is going to hurt some people, but it's going to make an awful lot of other people happy. A lot of people understand justice in that concept. What we find, especially in our racial arguments, and one of the reasons that we still struggle, even within our church, to understand a response to the things that are going on racially, is that many people today understand justice as power. Truly just nation gives power to the oppressed. The problem with that definition is when we give power to the oppressed, that rescues the oppressed, but then it just subjugates another group of people, which is not what God is talking about being just at all. God is just. We inherit our understanding of justice from him. The second thing I want you to know about this that we're going to use next week is that we belong to each other and we are responsible for each other. Do you realize that? Like if you're just to look around the room, you're responsible for each other based on what Scripture teaches us. We see this beautiful picture in the early church in that first century as the church is just beginning to, to blossom when Jesus has already been crucified and then he's been, he's been seen by so many people and then he ascends to heaven saying, I'll be back. We have this beautiful picture that, that the church actually takes care of each other, so going so far as to say that they sold everything they had so that anybody that had need would have equal economic standing with everyone else in the church because they understood this walking humbly and doing justice in a role of helping other people to be valued on the same level. That doesn't happen in our culture. Our value goes up based on our earning potential, right? Our value goes up based on how many followers we have, how many likes we can get. Our value goes up based on what we've accomplished within our life. Get to the end of our life and we ask, did, I, did my life mean anything? Yes, your life meant everything. But yet our culture tells us our life only means something if we have some substantive uh, success or some you know, contribution to the world in which our name is in a book somewhere, which then elevates us among others. We talked last week about the problem of, of even understanding humility in the sense that everyone is special. If everyone is special, no one is special, right? How can you be special if everyone's special? But we are all special. We're all equally loved. When we understand that we belong to each other, justice begins to take on a form felt responsible for Jay. I shouldn't have. Jay did nothing in our uh, history to make me want to be responsible for him, but yet I saw a person in pain, and I felt responsible for Jay. And I acted on that. Whenever we understand justice in the concept that we are responsible for each other, we recognize that we sacrifice for the community. That's what the early church was doing. I'm sacrificing myself because this is good for the community. Can you think anywhere in Scripture where you also see that happening? Somebody say Jesus. <laughs> Sacrificed himself for the good of all. And we begin to understand that justice, I'm responsible for you. It takes on all kinds of different understandings when we begin to look in the world around us and we begin to act justly. I, I, I'm responsible for and to others. 
The world doesn't see it this way. Instead, the world says, I will sacrifice the community for me. When we begin to understand this idea of us looking after each other, we, we even read the law differently. I've told you it's really a lot of fun to read Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all that good stuff. It's fun to read that stuff when you begin to understand what the laws are about. And a lot of the laws that are, are, are written about in the Old Testament are laws that simply say, take good care of each other. <laughs> like if you got a hole in your front yard and the guy's ox falls in and dies, buy him a new ox, for crying out loud. I mean, that... How is that even spiritual? But it is when we understand I need to take care of my community. It's impossible to live a life that I don't harm somebody. But when we harm somebody, and if we love mercy, then we withhold that punishment. But yet, because I recognize I have caused pain for you, I want to rectify that. I'm acting justly. Acting justly is very much about relationships not so much about code, not so much about law, though that does come in, and we're going to talk about that before we close. What about when someone does require accountability or punishment? This is kind of the the beautiful closing of the loop of loving mercy. We understand as we read through stories in the Old and New Testament is that not only are we responsible for each other, we're responsible when we contribute to causing other people to sin. There are many times God called on the community to repent for the actions of an individual because the community led to those actions. We don't like to think that way in America. It's all about the individual. Not in Scripture. It's about the community. That's when, you know, while we look even at the church, and, and I, I'm the pastor, so, so you know, I, I have this role in the hierarchy of our church and we're an elder-led church so now we have these elders that are the kind of the hierarchy of the church but in all actuality that i mean that is as close as we can come to what scripture said the church how it should function but the church said this about itself or the scriptures say this about the church that we are all one body all equal no one person is better than another and there is one head and it's not the pastor and it's not the elders it's christ We see throughout Scripture this sense of community and well-being for all. We live in a world that says, get what you can get. If somebody else doesn't get theirs, it's their fault. That's not how Jesus responded. That's not how Scripture talks to us. We belong to each other. We're responsible for each other. The third thing I want you to know about justice we'll use next week is because we are responsible for each other, we take special care of those that are less able to take care of themselves. We might call these the least of these. Simple. Scripture talks about the simple. See, we have a a mindset, generally one of two ways, depending on your political leaning, and that is if someone is in need, it's their fault, and therefore they reap the consequences. There is some evidence in Scripture for this. For example, if you don't work, you don't eat. This is in the Bible. And yet Jesus said, I have come for the oppressed. I have come for the sick. I have come for the blind. I've come for the captive. I've come for the person who can't care for themselves. We belong to each other. We're responsible for each other. When we recognize that, we take special care 
of those who can't take care of themselves. But the world doesn't live this way. The world's understanding of justice is you get what you deserve. Survival of the fittest. In Leviticus 19, we see this great description of, a, of someone who has worked and they have uh, gotten the due of their work and they're living off of, of their labor and yet they have a responsibility for those that have less. Leviticus 9, 9 and 10 says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Leave some for the people who don't have enough. Take care of the people that can't take care of themselves. Now this builds within us based on our leaning, um, either like, yes, or no. <laughs> like, I work for that. And if you want, you go work for that. It's the idea, you know, is it better to give or to receive? <laughs> God says it's way better to give. You receive more when you give. It's just one of those paradoxes that we don't fully comprehend, but yet we just kind of grasp on the tip of our tongue. Yeah, it's better to, to give because we're actually receiving something better. In Luke 12, Jesus says this, Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is or your heart will be also. In other words, as you seek the common good for the community, you are building up treasure in heaven. You see this all throughout. Now I keep, I'm sharing these things with you because... To some degree, we all struggle with the understanding of justice that is just bombarding us in the news. It's bombarding us on how we're supposed to treat people and who's responsible for this and what punishment they should have. And as Christians, we have to step outside of that and say, well, what does God understand as justice? And instead of looking at the punishment someone else deserves, we look in the mirror and we say, I deserve the same punishment. I'm, I'm, I'm like just as needy. I'm just as sinful. I, 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 I am not any more righteous apart from Jesus Christ. Because we're responsible for each other, we take special care of those that are less able to take care of themselves. The reasons Jesus said, when you feed the poor, it's like you're feeding me. When you clothe the poor, it's like you're clothing me. And really beautiful picture of what Jesus is calling us to and acting justly. Because we're created to live in community, we pursue humility. This is kind of where I've been. What I've been saying is to act as if all people are equal to us. The world says I've got to find my way. I've got to get ahead. I even struggle this with my kids. Jake's now in college. Emma's applying to colleges. You know, as a parent, I, you know what kind of job I want them to get. Yeah, one that I can retire and go live with them and have a really good life. That's the kind of job I want them to get. So, you know, hey, how much are you going to make? You know. In
I think at one time would have let me come live with her, but not now. She's trying to get away from me. Jake, I think he would take me in, but I'm not even positive about that some days. And Jonathan, there's no hope. So Malia's, <laughs> Malia's our last chance, and we've got 15 years to figure out if she's even going to be able to take care of us then, you're right? Now, come on, parents, you know you feel the same way. Don't laugh at me like I'm messed up. You guys are thinking the same thing. I followed that story all the way, all the way. But at the end of the day, that's because I'm conditioned to think of a successful life for my kids to be one where they make a lot of money more than they actually need. Conditioned that way. You're conditioned that way. Put yourself over others to make sure you have more. That's the American way. That is the pursuit of happiness. Because in our culture's understanding, there's a limited amount of happiness that's available to everyone. Get yours before someone else takes it. Which leads us to that ethical dilemma of what happens when what's good for a certain number of people is bad for somebody else. Yeah, I mean, it's going to hurt them, but look what we get. That's why justice is so rooted in the same idea of walking humbly with God and that we see that we are seeking not equality or fairness. I love that one of the things coming out of the current conversation on race is a new vocabulary. The understanding of equity. Not equity in your house, like we all want that, but I can't guarantee equality for my kids. You can't guarantee equality for anybody you do life with, but we can work towards equity, which means there's a level playing field. Everyone gets the same opportunities. Now, if you don't take the opportunity, if you don't work hard and you don't do those things, you don't get necessarily the equal rewards that other people get for doing that work. However, there should be equity in which everyone gets the same chance. And as Christians and as followers of Christ, we should be workers towards equity. Not equality, equity. That is one of the calls of, of, of justice is, is give everybody a fair shot because they are as deserving as we are. I hope you see in this this continual pull towards this understanding of elevating how we see others, even people that we sometimes might look down on otherwise. Jesus would never have us look down on someone else, no matter what they've done, no matter what punishment they deserve. But they need to be valued because they are in the image of God. Christ died. Equal footing. The Good Samaritan is a great illustration of this. No reason for the Samaritan to help the Jew, and yet he does. And he celebrated for that. Giving you a chance. Helping you out. There's no reason I should want to help you, but you deserve to live like I do. There's a reason that the Ten Commandments say, Thou shall. Begin to understand, you know, at the, at the root of stealing is, okay, you shouldn't have this. I should. I'm going to elevate myself over you. The reason the Ten Commandments say, you don't covet someone else's wife because now you are tearing down them. 
And that person is as deserving of peace in their home and happiness and joy in their relationship as you are in taking that person out of it. They deserve equality, equity. They deserve the ability to be looked at with equal concern that we look for ourselves, and that is acting justly. Jesus said this in Luke 4, one of my favorite places, where he's quoting a prophecy about himself. I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, Set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Acting justly is more than just not acting unjustly. Acting unjustly requires some level of morality in which we all agree. And for Christians, and and quite honestly, for most all of society, that has been based on Judeo-Christian values that have been shared for thousands of years. But the problem with having this discussion with people who aren't Christians is they will have a different foundation for what those moral rules should be, which means you will rarely agree on what is truly just with people outside of our faith. Maybe we will some who have been influenced by Judeo-Christian values That's one of the reasons we can't disagree. That's one of the reasons, and we'll talk about this next week, why there is so much disagreement. And and Scott and I, you know, are are highly involved in the conversation on race in our community. If you're interested, we have an event coming up this Friday night at Camp Jordan. It's a free event. You have to get tickets. But it's in combination with Pray Chattanooga, which we are a part, Hamlin County Baptist Association, and an organization created by Trinae Jordan from Mount Canaan Baptist and Mark West called the Church Acts, where we're going to have a night of worship, a night focused on unity. And while it says it's a night of unity and action, the action part is the desire to see us come together from all walks of life to serve our communities together. That's the action. It was named Unity, Race for Unity, uh, Racial Unity and Action, and And that was really a bad title because we also can't agree on what action should be. And sometimes some person's idea of good action actually offends us and vice versa. But the desire is to see the church come together in unity to worship together and then to do life and serve together. That's going to be this Friday night, Camp Jordan at 7. Is that right, Scott? Is it 7? Seven. You can go online. Um, it's you can go on journeychattanooga.com. We have it listed under our events. You have to you have to reserve tickets. It's an outdoor event, and there's going to be thousands of people there. So if you would like to come, if you're still social distancing, maybe maybe you don't want to show up, but if you would like to, you can. Great opportunity. But even in all the things we've done in racial reconciliation with with many of our friends, we've had many of them here just a few months ago. We don't always agree on what is just and what correct action is. We, we don't always, even with people we love and we're in community with and we spend time together, we, we don't always agree. And part of that is because our backgrounds are different. Our experiences are different. Our level of being pushed under is different. So we have to come to some understanding of what is justice. What does God want for us from 
justice. And while this may feel simplistic, it may sound simplistic, and, and in some ways it is simplistic because this is such a bigger topic than I can talk about in 30 minutes or 40 or however long it's been. At our most basic understanding, doing justice is treating other people with the dignity and respect in which they deserve. So how do we close a loophole of loving mercy? And do we just say, oh, this person has just killed somebody, but they are equal sharers of God's kingdom if they know Jesus Christ, so we're just going to ignore that. If we do that, then we ignore the very character of God. And the last part I want to share with you on what is justice is this, that God's justice equally punishes wrongdoing. God punishes wrongdoing. God is our judge. But the beautiful thing about God is even within his punishment, he restores the wrongdoer. That is something we struggle with. Like, I can get on board with punishing a wrongdoer, but can we, we need to make sure that they're really repentant before we restore them. Because I just don't know. I mean, they've done some bad things. And in truth, this is one of the beautiful things about the gospel, is there is punishment for wrongdoing, and yet in that punishment, the goal is not punishment, but is to set on a path of restoration. When we're wronged by others. Our goal is not to equally punish the way that we feel we've been punished, the goal is to bring restoration. That is the beauty of the gospel. Isaiah 61.8 says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. And if we put a period there, then many of our understandings about justice would be true in Scripture. But that is not where it ends. Instead, he goes on and says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them, those that rob and do wrong, I, those that I am going to give them their recompense, and yet I will create a covenant with them because that is what I do. I want to restore the wrongdoer. I share with you when we talked about loving mercy, the problem with this for us, is that this requires at times a great amount of discernment, and there is no formula that tells us, okay, what level of, of uh, punishment is appropriate? Or when should we withhold punishment? See, when we begin to understand the value of other people, whether you know, their skin color, their gender. Folks, as Christians, we even recognize people that we think are hostile to us and our faith as equally deserving of respect and dignity because they are equally created in the image of God. And Jesus died for them too. This is where the church needs to lead the way in our, our current conversation on justice. That we lift all people, not just the one group of people that we think should be lifted right now. We lift all people. By lifting all people, we change the community. We're responsible for the community. All right, I don't know what you're going to leave with today. 
I don't know if you're going to go leave and walk out of here and go, I have no idea what he just said. Uh, I think it's possible. I think, uh, you know, maybe even likely. Because this is a complicated conversation. It's not really. But to get outside of our cultural mooring and what we understand justice to be, it requires us to think differently. If you are walking out of here and you have heard what I have said, I, I, I think one way that we act this out is we leave here finding out how do I raise my respect and dignity for every person I come in contact with? How do I love them as myself? How do I see them as equal image of God bearers? Equally deserving of God's love and recipient of God's love. How do I treat them differently? And I, I'll be honest, I struggle with this. I struggle with this. I get mad. I, I know it's hard to believe, not so much for my kids, but I get mad. And sometimes I say things I shouldn't have said. And sometimes I, sometimes I punish because I feel punished. You've hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. I hope as we walk out of here we recognize there is a better way. That's why we come back and we say, I'm sorry. I messed up. I was wrong. That's why we change how we look at people who are taking forever in line to check out, right? Or cut me off. Or told me I was number one. Got some got a revival going on down here down front. It changes the way we see them. Here's what I'm going to leave you with. We've got to go. When we act justly, we treat people with the dignity and respect that they are due because God has given us all the same amount of dignity and respect. We just share with others what God has shared with us. All right, we're going to go deeper next week. Some of you may not like next week. Some of you may think next week's the best week ever. I hope we all have a way not to come and have me tell you how you're supposed to feel about things. That is not my goal and is not what we're going to do but yet how do we approach some of the things going on in our world with this understanding? Uh, how can we change the way the church responds to injustice? And how do we respond to some of the things that are going on around the world today? Let's put some of this um, to practice next week, all right? Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you that you are a God who is just. I don't have to worry that you're going to treat me differently than anyone else or that uh, something is wrong for me and right for someone else or vice versa, but God, you are always consistent. I can be confident that you are a God who never changes. God, I thank you for the love and grace in which you've given me. I pray that you would give me a heart that allows me to see others with that same vision of love and grace. Father, I pray that you would give us discernment as we walk out of this room. Some of us have been hurt. Some of us have been hurt very recently, some of us are still hurting, and the desire to lash out is strong. Father, I pray you would just arrest our worldly tendency. Instead, we would bear your image by acting justly. Father, I pray for those in this room, and, and, and the issue of seeing others above themselves is not the problem. Uh, they, they've seen themselves as below others their entire lives, and yet that is not where you see them. That is not where you want their, uh, their vision, their, their worldview to be. Father, help them to be elevated to the place where they see that they are loved by you. They are worthy 
you plan to spend an eternity with them. Father, I pray for those that are here in this room and, and, and they have gotten by by trying to find people they can look down on to make them feel better about themselves. And Father, I pray that all those insecurities, that you would wipe them away. And that we would be able to see ourselves and others with the eyes in which you see us. I pray that you would help us and give us opportunities to demonstrate dignity and respect, not just as humans, but as Christians, and that they will see this is what God wants for them. Help us as we bear your image in our community, that it would be clear that it is because of you and not because of us. Father, give us wisdom as we move forward with all that is going on politically, socially, legally, so that we will respond as you would have us respond. Not as anyone else would have us respond, but as you would. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray.